Hello, everyone. Welcome to Evil Pudding, a true crime podcast. Welcome back. Howdy. How's everyone doing? I'm Patrick, by the way. Oh, and I'm Courtney. There you go. <laughs> it's been two weeks. It's been a long two weeks. I forgot how to podcast. <laughs> well, in, in all fairness, our AC literally went out right <gasps> after we recorded last time, yes. which was two weeks ago, and we just got it back two days ago. And we live in... I was going to say, and we live in Southeast Texas. And we, most people are like, air conditioning, it's February. We're like, dude, it's been 80 every day this week. <laughs> but thank God this didn't happen, like, right in the middle of it did summer. It, remember, like, four or five years ago? It, did it, it happened before in, in one house we were living in. And, and it was oh 110. It was awful. We had to get a hotel <laughs> for everybody. We, we yeah. stayed in a hotel because it was just, you couldn't even be in the house during the day. Yeah. So, so I would work. Like researching this episode, I would work in like little spurts and then like get up, walk around. Well, you couldn't sit down for long periods of time because after like an hour or two, like your focus is just like shot just because you're like sweating and you're like, this is fucking hot I know. here, dude. I know. Spent a lot of time on TikTok, scrolling TikTok. I drank a lot of beer because it was cold. Did you? I do that anyway. <laughs> it's like a normal thing. It must be so nice to be able to drink a lot of beer and just be somewhat healthy. I'm not healthy at all. You are. You went to the doctor and everything came back fine. And me, I like look at a piece of white bread and it's like. (laughs) (laughs) But that's also because I spent 15 years in the army. Mm -hmm. So just my body is like, if I didn't drink for a week and went to the doctor. Beer equals water. (laughs) Like if I went, if I didn't drink for like a week, like a month and went to the doctor, Mm -hmm. they'd be like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Like your shit's all over the place. I'm like, cause the beer regulates it. (laughs) Are you just special? (laughs) stupid <laughs> spend that much time in the army you drink that much beer <laughs> oh, you're feisty today <laughs> very i just we just watched the weirdest play ever our daughter is in theater and we just went to a play and the, it's not their they put play. on it's and one of their special ones where they get they get the contest yeah it's a contest and it was very modern i guess i i guess we and could it, say it was funny and Light at first, and then it took a horribly dark turn. It very, wasn't that weird. It was just very abstract. It was but it very, took a very dark turn. Too. Yeah, it, it took like, me a minute to realize what's going on. But they did really good. Oh, proud it was of really them. good. It was, it was actually really good. Very proud just, of them. Wasn't what I was expecting, which is why I call it weird. Been watching a lot of TikTok, and then we found um, Jasper. Jasper the doll. If you, if you have not seen Jasper the doll on TikTok, we don't know them. We're not plugging them. <laughs> I'm plugging them. For go follow Jasper the doll. It, go follow it. It is. It's a little, it's a girl. She's a kid and you never see her, but she has a Barbie and she gave Jasper like this voice and she like just made this bar. She cut its hair off. She gave it like black eye makeup, has a chest tattoo. This is horror. And it, and it, she put like glitter all up the leg and it goes around talking. <laughs> I like lobster soup. And it's funny because our little, Lobster when she was little, soup. she used to walk around talking to me like that, the voice like that. So it's even better. Yeah. It's like, it's like, what are you doing? Making a video. It's <laughs> this deep demon. Like Patrick voice. and I will lay in bed and roll and like, I'll almost be drifting off to sleep. And he is too. And I'm like, I like lobster soup. <laughs> He's like, Jesus. Christ. And her sister brought her a plate of snacks. It was olives. And she's like, what, what, what the fuck is that? What is that? And you know, what her mom that? probably doesn't even know that she has TikTok. And then one day she went viral because yeah. she's going viral. One day she went to go to, she had to go to her mom and be like, mom, you know my TikTok? She's like, yeah. She's like, well, I need you to put your name on it because we're making like millions of dollars off of this crap now. <laughs> It's fantastic. What a good so go follow Jasper the Jasper doll. It's hilarious. Between Jasper the doll and uh who's our friend? <laughs> Who? The other one we watch all the time. Which one? Dog. 
Oh, Chili. Chili. Chili the pug. Chili the pug who commits a crime of his choice every Every week. Friday. It's, and he, he gets, gets a new job every Wednesday. Yeah, he gets to commit a crime of his choice every Friday. And to he's include piracy. Hilarious. Grand Theft Auto. Yeah, we're a fan of Chili the pug. Definitely go and so, check out Jasper the doll and Chili the pug. That was a really weird rant we already started out on today. This is going to be an interesting one. Well, this is a weird episode, so. <laughs> you know what? You're right. <laughs> I don't know anything about it. I just know the topic. Okay. It's weird. Well, today Instantly. we're talking about a cult, and, and it's cults mean weird. It's a subject I don't believe we dis, we've discussed before. The, no, we haven't really talked cults. I think the closest thing was Salem. Yeah, that's not a cult. And boy, do we have a doozy of a cult to discuss today. Sweet. So I came across this book called Deceived when I was scrolling through my recommended reading list on Amazon. Okay. And I decided to purchase a book, not to do an episode on, just to read out of curiosity. And it sent me down a rabbit hole. Which they always do with you. As per usual. Yeah, I was going to say, anything like that that catches your <laughs> attention, especially something And it was a frustrating rabbit hole because there's not a lot out there other than the book and then the person who wrote the book. Yeah, so it's one of those you got to like go 100 different places to follow your rabbit hole. So it's one of the many perks of having ADHD is I get (laughs) hyper-focused on (laughs) a subject. Yeah, you do. So um, Deceived is a book written by Detective Michael R. King about the takedown of a ritualistic child sex offending cult in the early 90s called the Zion Society. Have you heard of them? No. No? Michael King, the author of the book, was actually the lead investigator to man the takedown of this predatory group. So, of course, he had some pretty high-value insight into this case, in my opinion. So, I mainly used his writings and interviews to assemble this episode because he's, like, a wealth of knowledge. Like, the wealth of knowledge. He was there. (laughs) So, in other words, I'll be kind of telling this story, so to speak, from an investigative point of view. The Zion Society is the cult in question today, and who are they in a nutshell? They were a polygamous group based in a suburban area of Ogden, Utah. Of course. And they were led by a six, a 61-year-old sex pervert disguised as a, quote, grandfather and godly leader. And he, They always are. He, he, like, if you look at a picture of him, he just looks like anyone's grandpa. You know what I mean? This group of individuals were persuaded to participate in absolutely vile and sadistic crimes against women and more frequently and shockingly, children. So fair warning, we're going to be addressing many instances of child abuse and it's going to get really difficult to listen to. Fantastic. The leader of this group was a disgusting man named Arvin Shreve. It's like Marvin, but without the M, Arvin. Arvin Shreve. And Arvin would go on to lead a group of about 70 members. And after an investigation led by Detective Mike King, his dark crimes would be brought to light and he would go on to face justice, thankfully. Good. Unfortunately, the crimes that this monster committed may have never been revealed if it wasn't for a former cult member Coming forward. Very brave Someone one. Someone finally squealed and was like, this shit ain't right, man. Exactly. On July 10th, 1991, a young woman by the name of Erin Anderson 
would walk into Detective King's office with a very hard-to-believe firsthand account of a cult that was actively sexually assaulting young, young children in the group that she was a member of. Before we get into the abhorrent findings of Detective King's investigation, let's back up a bit and come to know Arvin Shreve. Where did he come from, and how was one man able to convince a large group of adults to follow his dangerous teachings? Arvin Shreve was born in Ogden, Utah in the 1930s to a middle-class family who were devoted members of the LDS or Church of Latter-day Saints, Saints, which many of us know as the Mormon Church. Yep. And here in the U.S., the state of Utah has the largest number of LSD church members per capita. So Arvin didn't exactly start out any different from the rest of the boys in his community. I also think Utah like the only state that polygamy is not like fully outlawed? It's illegal everywhere. It is is illegal there. It's just... They just turn a, bri- a blind a brown eye, a blind eye to it. I think so. I think so. But I I looked it up okay. and it's it's. I thought it was illegal, illegal in all states, but I know yeah. it's like everyone knows it happens in Utah. Like it's like one of those things that everyone knows. That like Mormon polygamy uh, is like sometimes, yeah. But it's not all, not it's actually and I, I get into this later. But um, polygamy is um, like it's not condoned in the Mormon Church in the Mormon faith. Oh, it's not. Nope. Not That's at all. A bad rumor. Back in the 1890s, I believe they absolutely they did, yeah, did away with it. So it just gets a bad rap for absolutely. Old, they get a bad rap, yeah. Like literally 100 year old history. Absolutely. Yeah. So good to know. Arvin was just a normal, quiet, clean cut kid. However, at one point, Arvin had confided in a close friend that he had been sexually assaulted by his aunt as a child. And although he knew this encounter to be wrong on her part. Arvin stated that he had enjoyed it. Yeah, and it's very often you see these people that go on to do these kind of things. They mm-hmm. have like, just like murderers have these kind of crimes in them when their kids done committed them. to them. Yeah, right? a lot of these people that come be these giant predators were sexually assaulted more often than not when they were children. Yeah, and it's hard to even say if this is true or not because, you know, she wasn't around to defend herself when this came about. Right, this is him. This, this is, like, is him just This is like anybody talking. who before saying, like, we don't know that this is exactly how it yeah. works, but this is what he said happened. As a high school student at Weber High School in Ogden, Arvin excelled, especially in his debate class. Go figure. He was said to have a, quote, naturally persuasive ability, which is really good for debate. And like if you're a lawyer and stuff. He was, or if you want to start a sex cult. It, that too. <laughs> he was even elected student body president due to his ability to garner respect from people. At school, he served on the Latter-day Saints Seminary Council and even went on to win the title of state debate champion before graduating high school. Okay. He went on to attend Weber College, and lo and behold, excelled on his college debate team as well. What can I say? The guy probably would have made a great lawyer if he would have used his gift for good, right? He was what you would call a master debater. Yeah. So at the age of 19, I believe, young men and women who are members of the LDS church typically go on mission trips. Mm -hmm. Basically, a mission trip is spending 18 months to three years, depending on your gender, oh, wow. mm-hmm, away from home um, 
proselytizing or attempting to convert people into the Mormon faith. So typically they go overseas. Yeah, they go they go to third world countries, they go to South America, they go to Africa, they go to right. the Middle or the Middle East or you know, and they just basically are trying to they go there doing good deeds, but at the same time, those deeds are in order to convert people, right? You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like they, they'll open a school or they'll do they'll provide medical care all at the same time while trying to. And if you're a girl, you can spend up to 18 months. If you're a boy, you can spend one to three years. So, oh, sorry. Well, Arvin was no different. He went on a three year mission trip to Brazil and Uruguay in November of 1950. And in 1953, Arvin returned home to Ogden, and in September of that year, he married a woman named Alice and began working at the county and city parks department, where he would remain an employee until the day he retired. As we will see, Arvin is really majorly into landscaping. He was a landscaper. Outward perception is his thing. During Arvin's career, he would design many of Ogden's absolutely beautiful parks and landscape many of their government buildings. In fact, the running joke was, quote, Arvin could make dirt turn green. So he was obviously pretty good at his job. And if you look up uh, Ogden online and like all the parks and stuff, they're known for just how gorgeous. I mean, he he, he definitely had a skill. Oh, he did. He was very talented. Which you, you know, already you... Pair that with his debating skills, right? So he's very persuasive and he can make things look a certain way on the outside. He's very good at that. So it's very, you can see how this becomes cultish later on because like if he's already persuasive, which most cult leaders are, and he can make it look a certain way on the outside, Mm -hmm. like he can make it just not look like what it is. Mm -hmm. That's the perfect scenario. Absolutely. As you can imagine, Arvin remained active in the LDS church during this whole time. He was even a beloved Sunday school teacher for a time. That's crazy. He was so popular amongst the students that, per their request, Arvin began a church-sponsored religious study group that he held at his home. And I say it's I say that's crazy, not because kids liked it. It's just crazy because you know how the story ends. Yeah, and, and you're like, to be clear, it like didn't that. specify uh, all the research I did. I couldn't find like what age group. I think it was adults. I really do. Either way, from like, like young adults to you know. He's not doing his crimes, obviously, yet, but we know that he does them. So it's like, that's crazy. What's not crazy? He's just being a part of it. If you give people, like, and you'll see here coming up, if you give people like Arvin an inch. They take a mile. They take 10 miles. Yeah. They're they're con men. It was in these small groups held in his home that Arvin would introduce the idea of plural marriages, or polygamy as we know it, to his students. A topic that he had been obsessed with and studying for quite some time. Now, polygamy, like we were talking about early Pat, earlier, Pat, polygamy is not legal in Utah. And contrary to misconception, the Mormon faith has denounced the practice of plural marriage since 1890. So a lot of his students were a bit taken aback by Arvin's outlandish views on he, marriage. He's bringing back the old school tradition yeah. that's been dead for, at this point, 70 years. Well, some of his students went to the local bishop or the leader of their church, in other words. They were like, hey. And they told him, hey, Arvin is talking about how godly it is to take on multiple wives, and it's making some of us super uncomfy. (laughs) And, of course, the bishop was 
like he was pissed. He was like, no. No, we outlawed that shit. Yeah, we outlawed that years ago. So the bishop called Arvin in for a meeting and asked Arvin, like, explain yourself. I want to give you the benefit of of the doubt. You know, what's going on here? You're a good church member. You teach Sunday school. You you do all these things. Like, what what is this this story? Right. And instead of denying, which you think he would do, he went on to boldly explain that he had gotten this revelation from God himself about the practice of polygamy and had been instructed to reinstitute it himself. Not in its original form, but in his special form. He's going to do it differently this time, and it's going to work. Dude just sounds like Koresh to me right Another, now. Yeah, very much. In other words, Arvin had a new way of practicing polygamy that would be way better than the old way. Like, way better. They did it wrong. How before. do you do it wrong? <laughs> like, <laughs> what different tactic do you take? The bishop told Arvin, like, no way, bro. You either stop spewing this nonsense or you're going to end up being disciplined by the church. And nobody wants that because it's bad. And well, this, is, this is in like the 50s and 60s, right? So this, this is, is they, the 50s, yeah. So they still did like corporal punishment in churches and schools and stuff like that? Well, they just would do what they did today and you'll see what happens. Okay. I'm, I'm just trying to give context because back in like They Catholic don't do school, corporal punishment. Well, Catholic schools in the 40s and no. 50s and stuff did corporal they punishment. They don't do that. No. They're not going to beat you. They'll just be, they'll It's just, the 50s. They'll banish you excommunicate you, you know, but they're not going to beat you. Not the Mormons. Mm-mm. I don't know. I don't <laughs> do, they, know. do they beat you in the 50s? as an adult? Who knows? In the Catholic church? You were Catholic. They beat you? No, it was in the 90s. They didn't beat anybody. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, they beat I've you? seen a lot of movies and TV shows. Where okay, no, happens, nobody okay? beat anyone. <laughs> well, I mean, Arvid did, but not the Mormon church. <laughs> The bishop told Arvin, no way, bro. You either stop spewing this nonsense or you're going to end up being disciplined by the church. Well, Arvin agreed and he promised to stop. But as I'm sure you could have guessed, yeah, I was say, Bullshit. <laughs> he kept on spewing his ideas on plural marriage to his home study group or really anyone who would listen for that matter. Arvin also seemed to keep busy in his spare time. Oh, soliciting sex workers. In fact, he did this so often that he seemed to have a regular, so to speak, air quotes. His regular go-to was a woman that we're just going to call Melanie, and she was kind enough later to come forward and, you know, talk. Yeah. So Melanie would later testify that, quote, he was not profane, he never swore, He had a soft, gentle voice and appeared to always have a happy smirk on his face. But he had some very alarming kinks. Go figure. At one point, Arvin asked Melanie to make arrangements for him to have sex with young girls. Yeah. On one occasion, Melanie, unfortunately, and I I wish she wouldn't have, but she did. She unfortunately complied and hooked Arvin up with a 16-year-old runaway who was sadly working as a sex worker in order to make ends meet. On another occasion, I guess this wasn't good enough. Yeah. So Arvin asked Melanie if she would be willing to set him up with her own daughter, Melanie's daughter. Oh. And it was here that Melanie drew the line and she was like, Yeah, no. No. Go kick some rocks, dude. Seriously. No. One of Arvin's many secret rendezvous with Melanie resulted in his arrest in Salt Lake City. And the 
the pair were caught in the act, so to speak. So he got arrested. Yeah. He can't keep this from his wife. No. What are you in jail for? Uh, yeah. <laughs> solicitation of sex? Of course, Arvin's wife, Alice, is her name. She found out. Remember, he's married. Hard. It's hard to remember that. <laughs> he's married and he's, a, at, the, at this point, kind of a prominent member in the church. So, But did Alice leave him? No. Of course not. Arvin used his manipulation skills to convince Alice that God had instructed him to experiment with the sex workers. And although he really didn't want to, he had to obey God. And who's going to argue with God? Not Alice. So she was like, okay, that's fine then. These stories always (laughs) get me so angry because I'm like, and this person is just like, okay. Alice is like, cool. God told you to go. Hook up with sex workers? That's fine. God told you to. I mean, I know okay. it. I know it's not that cut and dry. And I know that she was probably in an abusive marriage. You right. Know? And this was probably conversations had over weeks. Yeah. If not months. And but he convinced, it's still like, but he convinced her yeah. that this was God speaking to him. So I want to be sensitive to that, but also it's like, come on, Alice. <laughs> yeah. I mean, obviously it's not like he walked in and was like, hey, God made me do it. She's like, okay. Well, as much as I love you, and I love you, like I would, I would do some crazy stuff for you. But uh, if you came to me and was like, <laughs> "That's why I always look at this, just in my own head," and I'm like, "If I had done these things and went to explain to Courtney that, hey, I did this because God told me I needed to do it," yeah, it's not no. going to end well. No, it's not going to end well. So, we'll and be on I, a podcast one day. Well, I mean, yeah, we would be. <laughs> For another reason. (laughs) You'll be covering our cases for jail. (laughs) So while Arvin's busy being a pervert, he somehow still manages to find time to hold his weekly home religious studies. And he is still spewing his multiple wives ideology to his students. Oh, he's going to find time because he's grooming them all. Exactly. Well, word got back to the local bishop. Of what? That he was... That Arvin was up to his old ways. Not that he got picked up a, a sex worker. So, well, I'm, that came up as okay. well. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, so oh. <laughs> the church leaders decided to hold what's called a disciplinary council. Ooh. And in the early 1960s, with Arvin present, the council reviewed Arvin's actions before giving Arvin a chance to state his case. They let Arvin speak. Like, I guess it's like a court. It's almost. like a court hearing. Yeah. It's like a. Exactly. Yeah. Well. It pissed Arvin off that his beliefs were being questioned at all, Just like in the her. first place. Because he, right? he, he really does believe that he's being told by God about some of this stuff, doesn't he? Yeah. Well, and I don't think so. Or he just I think he's such a narcissist that he thinks that he could play people. I don't. I think he knows full well that he's not being spoken to by God. He just wants what he wants. Right. And it's hard. To and he's using it because he's using it. Like you said, it's hard to determine which one it is. And we've covered people on here that hardcore believe God. He doesn't. Like he's not crazy. Having them make hamsters. Yeah. Shoes. Like, <laughs> no, no, he's no Joseph calendar. I'm he's just not. saying we've, we've gone some dark, crazy people before. So you never know. Well, so Arvin got a chance to kind of state his case and he defiantly stated that he didn't believe in Jesus to like the literal bishops. That's a great He way. said, I don't believe in Jesus, nor do I believe in the church. So he said this in front of the church leaders. 
and, so, and so, he's in a leadership position. This is this wouldn't be it. They're don't basically think. reviewing his action for discipline. They're all talking like, "This is what you've been brought up. What do you believe?" And he basically just not goes, what you do. He basically just walks in and goes, "Fuck you." Yeah, and exactly. what you believe, you're wrong. Exactly. So that day. Arvin was excommunicated from the Mormon yeah, church. No, no, no shit. If his actions weren't bad enough, he just walks in and is like, I don't believe in any of this shit. They're like, okay then. So when you're excommunicated from the Mormon church, you're kicked out. You can't go anymore. You're banished, right? You're, you're shunned. You're shunned. No one in the church is supposed to interact with you. You're not allowed to come into any functions. I think. Are, I don't know. I didn't look that far into it. That's usually what it entails. Yeah. Like, yeah. You're excommunicated. You're not allowed to do anything that's associated with the church. Mm-hmm. You're really not supposed to associate with people. Where they're not supposed to associate with you. Well, this made Arvin mad. Not so much because he... <laughs> what did you expect, dude? But not so much that he wanted so badly to be a part of this church. No, because he's being told he's wrong. He's being told, you know, no, right? Yeah. So after stewing about this for a while, Arvin decided, well, I'm just going to start my own religion. Like, screw all y'all. I'm just going to start my he's own not religion. not the first one. And that's exactly what he did. Over the next several years, Arvin conjured up, literally conjured up, a whole new religion and slowly but surely began to indoctrinate the people around him. And I always wonder, how do these people just blindly follow this guy? It doesn't happen overnight. This was, and we'll see. I'm getting ahead of myself. But it, it, it's a good question to ask. I know you're going to get to it, mm-hmm. but it happens so often that it's really hard to understand how people just fall for it. Like, seriously, it's the same thing as David Koresh, mm-hmm. where he was telling all these married couples that, like, he needs to bang their wife and get them pregnant because he's going to bring forth the child of God. Mm-hmm. It's just like it's uh, exactly Anton like LaVey and his, you know, the Church of Satan. Like, they come up with these huge religions, and then they're just making these things up, and people are like, yeah, totally, I believe that. They were Anton LaVey wasn't so much a cult, right, though? He wasn't, but he basically started like the satanic was. church. It wasn't so much of a cult, but it's the it's the point that these guys have come up with these whole versions of a religion of their mm-hmm. own, and everyone's like, "Dude, that makes sense." Yeah, I'm not I'm not saying that you know Levey and the Church of Satan were a cult or were doing these things are comparable, but at the same time they are because these guys are so charismatic. They're saying these crazy ass fucking ideas as religions, and people mm-hmm. are like, "Dude." I like where you're going. I like where your fucking head's at. You definitely need to sleep with my wife. Like, what the fuck? I know. I guess you could kind of say that all religion to some, like, man-made, man-made, like, Mm -hmm. religion is somewhat of a cult to some degree. Right? This is very excessive, right? Of course, yeah. But at the same time, if someone comes to me and is like, hey, you know, I got this, here's my religion, and start talking to me, and then they're like, hey, Mm -hmm. I speak to God, and I have to have sex with Courtney Mm -hmm. so that we can have a child for God. I'm going to be like, uh, we're out. Yeah. I'm out of this church because that's not normal. That's weird. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, <laughs> church or not, that's fucking weird. Yeah. And but lots of luck having being, a child with me. You're, well, not even that. <laughs> the fact that you're being told <laughs> Those days by a higher power that you need to sleep with other people's wives. Like. No, you don't. Okay. This is how it happened with Arvin. Okay. This is how he got people to follow him. It was not blindly to start. It never is. Um, it started with close family members. Then those family members who kind of like warmed up to his beliefs and it didn't start off extreme. Like he's, he's just, he's not saying he needs to bang anyone right off the bat. Right? No, 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 no. But he's still preaching the yeah. idea of plural marriages. This started off with very close family members. Then those close family members would bring friends along to listen to Arvin's teachings. And that's how it always works. And Arvin started to recruit, like, neighbors and then those neighbors' friends and family. 
Yeah, you're not going to bring in strangers doing these things. Like none of these guys did this. Right. They brought people they knew that kind of trusted them. There was already levels of trust and connection. Mm-hmm. And they just exploit it basically. They exploit what they the relationship they already have to get them on board. So the brainwashing happened over quite some time. Remember this quote, very loose quote, church started in the 60s and he wasn't apprehended until the 90s. So this wasn't an overnight thing. This no, was 10 years probably. We're talking he had 70 devoted members, right? Over so years. and a lot of those devoted members were children of the adults that he brought in. So, yeah. And his children, by the way. Many of the members who freely joined Arvin had been members of other polygamous groups in the past. And so they were the ones that, you know, were like, okay, what he's teaching is not out there. It's not that bad. I've been there before. They didn't do it right over there. Maybe he will. Then there were those who just went in and joined him blindly. There were those. Arvin had promised that if you were to follow him, you'd receive more knowledge of God's will than was available to others. So that was definitely, you know, appealing to some. He wasn't really out there at this time. He was very baseline. The only thing kind of different about him was the polygamy and that God speaks to him. Yeah, and and that's usually the case, right? Most of these cults don't start out to where they're the end. Right. They start out veering off from another religion and it just slowly, gradually escalates into this. Well, here's the escalation. What seemed like an innocent church of self-improvement gradually turned into something far more perverse and controlling. Arvin began to require some rather shocking commitments from his members. He soon convinced his members to sell their homes, and some had homes in not just Ogden, but in different states like California and Montana. So no matter where you had property, you were to sell it and give all of the proceeds from that sale to Arvin. Not the church, just straight to Arvin. Well, it was to the church. Oh, okay. Yeah, but I mean, he is the Basically, church. Basically, yeah, yeah. He's God. He's the church. He's he's in a position that he wants to be right now. Right. And with that money, Arvin would purchase a commune of sorts. And as we know, every cult that has a commune has a name, right? So Arvin started referring to this group, his group, as the Zion Society. Zion as a play on Mount Zion in the Bible. Now, when we hear the term commune, our minds may think back to an isolated building out in the middle of nowhere, maybe even off the grid, away from prying eyes of nosy neighbors or law enforcement. Enforcement? Enforcement. No, I was about to say, or like law enforcement and the federal government, because a lot of those communes are to isolate from the federal government and law enforcement. But not this one. Arvin would establish the Zion Society commune in plain sight. This is insane to me. This was one of the most, one of the most shocking aspects of this. Right in the middle of a nice, newly established subdivision in the suburbs called Northwood in northern Ogden. Arvin would purchase many houses in this subdivision to house the cult. Like right admit amidst like neighbors that are just like you and I, raising families. It was a nice school district. It was suburbia. Yeah, and it's I you can almost kind of see as long as they're doing stuff indoors. Like going to each other's houses and meeting and stuff like that, and 
They were hiding in plain sight, yeah. so to it speak. It's not going to look that suspicious. Later on, we um, get into the investigation, and we're going to go more into the geography and like the layout of the commune. Okay. Because I had questions about that. So it's mind blowing how intricate and advanced these people were. And it makes you want to look at your neighbors a bit more objectively or subjectively. One of the two. You get what I mean? Like it, you it a, makes you, want to take you a look at them. Like, yeah, it's like, oh, you're friends with our other neighbor. Are y'all in a cult? <laughs> like I feel that way now. It's crazy. Oh yeah, everybody, everybody's sitting right there at their computer or work. Oh, it's not the computers. Mm-hmm. But everybody's listening to it in their car or wherever they're listening, and they're sitting there thinking of like two or three oh, neighbors. Yeah. Beth and so and so are friends down the street, and we it's have, like. <laughs> Three neighbors in our area that right now are popping in my head, like maybe the bulletproof skateboard guy, or oh my god, that's right, the, the crazy bet. child. He's house probably the leader. Or the crazy child house. Oh <gasps> yeah, she's weird. She like doorbell. She, Y'all, this is a really random rant, but we got this kid down the street. She ding like, dong ditches ding, us. Ding dong ditches all day long. She's outside. Their front yard looks like a bomb went off. She's screaming all the time. Always been like, not in a bad way, screaming, just playing like, and it's just like, what is happening in this house? Yeah. Now, now I'm going to go. We should ask them. I'm going to go full recon mode. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So anyways, Arvin and his followers have several nice houses in a section of this neighborhood. Well, over time, their neighbors are normal people. They started to become awfully suspicious of them. Like eyebrows started to raise, if you will. (laughs) For one thing, each of... I'm just going to say Arvin's homes. Each of Arvin's homes had beautiful, over-the-top landscaping in the front yard. We're talking waterfalls, manicured shrubbery, the whole nine yards, like stone paths. Oh, like the tiered shrubs with yeah, the paths absolutely. in the middle. <laughs> Remember, that's what Arvin used to do for a living, Edward landscaping for the city. So, yes, that's what I was thinking, too, Edward Scissorhands. So it was a a requirement for the Zion Society members to go above and beyond when it came to their front yard. It was a defining characteristics, defining characteristic of one of Arvin's homes, if you will. It's how you could tell a cult member's home apart from normal Joe Smith's home down the road. Yeah, they got these outlandish waterfalls and shrubberies outside their house and our house. I've got pine needles all over the place and the bushes are not overgrown, but they're not trimmed well side note um uh, detective king in his book deceived he talked about how like the normies in the neighborhood the ones that weren't a member of the cult they would like once rumors started to spread that this was a cult section you know they would leave their crap disheveled well they would on purpose put a sign out in their front yard saying we're not one of them it was that bad and it was that well known yeah so it's crazy. I thought they were just going to be like, they no, it was like, we're not one of them. Work, you know what I mean? Just let their yards get overgrown. Yeah. Like well, that. probably they just kept their basic ass front yard, you know? Well, I wouldn't even mow my lawn. So yeah. I got to like two feet high and be like, see, I'm clearly not one of these people. Of course, rumors of a cult living in their subdivision started to circulate. And with good reason, neighbors observed uh, super odd behaviors from the now suspected cult in their neighborhood. Like, none of the adults in this group would ever wave or acknowledge outsiders. Not only that, but on the rare occasion that a neighbor would witness a child in one of the cult members' front yards, that child wouldn't be playing. Like, it'd be a little bitty, just able-to-walk child. 
and they would be doing chores, like doing yard work. I was about to say doing yard work? Yeah. On one occasion, a group of teenage girls that belonged to the cult displayed some super alarming behavior. A little boy not belonging to the Zion Society was outside playing in his front yard. Well, this group of teen girls took their clothes off in front of him, which is just super weird, guys. Like, it's very misdirected, super sexual behavior, which to me is a telltale sign that those teen girls have seen some shit behind closed doors, which, yeah. spoiler alert, they have. <laughs> yeah, and it's like... <laughs> like, why would you do that? It's one thing if you got teenage girls and they're, like, just doing whatever. Maybe they flash them or something like that. They're like, I'll show you my boobs or something. like You know what I mean? But they're like, just get naked. But a little boy, like a little boy. That's weird. That's weird. Even if you were just to flash him, like just a little boy. But that's, no. that, yeah, that screams like you don't they're do used that. to this kind of behavior. Yeah, they're very used to it. There was also a widespread rumor, and this is super disturbing, in the neighborhood amongst the normies that someone in the cult had given birth in one of the homes and the baby had died because the cult had refused to seek medical care at a hospital. Good Lord. Which is so sad. And I guarantee you that that is 100% true. <laughs> like, I guarantee you that's true. People ask questions at hospitals. <clears throat> In my own personal opinion, this, the cult members, they weren't allowed to seek outside, you know, medical care. Because people ask questions. They had their own medical, like, facility in one of the houses so we'll get into that later when i get into the raid but that's 100 percent it when you you know when you do those kind of things and you go to a medical facility they're going to ask questions it doesn't you know i may be speculating but it doesn't say how old the person who gave birth was it could have been a 17 year old and then they're going to ask questions like you're 17 who's the dad and then now you're trying to figure out which one of these old dudes is trying to cover you know what i mean like it's yeah people ask questions when you go to those places so i can see why they're like hell no we're yeah, not going. Absolutely. It's just unfortunate that a little baby dies because they're such sick fucks. I know. It's awful. Neighbors would also witness truckloads of supplies being delivered very late at night. Then, like, to the houses. But then those supplies would be distributed amongst all the other houses in their little group. That's, that's weird. If and you're it's super weird. It, again, it's another red flag. And if it happens once... It's odd, but if it happens like routinely? routinely over the years, it's like something's Even up. Even once, it's really odd if <laughs> yeah. you got a U-Haul pull up at night and they unload a shit ton of whatever, and then all of a sudden people from all over the neighborhood that you already know are in this weird group right. are just showing up and collecting their box. It's like, what the fuck? Well, by now, everyone was pretty sure this was a cult. So, so sure, in fact, that... Local Ogden newspaper wrote an expose on them. One reporter even confronted Arvin, who was suspected to be the leader, for an interview. But Arvin played dumb. He denied the group even existed, and he stated that he definitely didn't believe in the wild practice of polygamy. So wild. So crazy. So out there. Like a hundred years ago. Stop it, sir. Yeah. And he was like, we just are friendly, and don't you want to live next to your friends? That was basically We're just his really whole, close. Yeah, exactly. So these people truly are hiding in plain sight. Everyone knows what they are, but there's no outward proof, right? Yeah, you no can't one's like, seen them like running around in like goat masks. They're like, not doing chanting, anything you know I mean? like, they're illegal. Not doing anything even if they were, they're not doing anything illegal, right? That we so know, far that anyone can see outwardly. Yeah, that anyone can see. Yeah. That's what I meant. 
Now, the group wasn't entirely antisocial, at least not when it came to trying to recruit other women in the neighborhood. Oh, yeah, they got to bring the women in. So let's talk about the lingerie parties. (laughs) Was he Hugh Hefner? Sort of. Women in the Zion Society cult would invite other women in the neighborhood to lingerie parties in an effort to recruit them into the cult. Yeah. So I just want want to clarify this because this is Mm mind-blowing. The whole area knows that this is a fucking weird-ass cult. Mm-hmm. Like, we know this shit. We just can't prove it. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, hey, we know you think we're a weird-ass cult, but we're going to mm-hmm. prove it we're not. So come to a lingerie party. Nothing illegal. I know, but that's even weirder that you'd be invited to a lingerie party by people you think are in a cult. It's yeah. fucking weird. It is weird. It and is people weird. are like, cool, that sounds like fun. And in typical manipulatory fashion, there would never be any interaction whatsoever with men in the neighborhood because they were trying to isolate the women from their husbands, from their families. Trying to recruit them so that they can pull them away. Exactly. Because with women come children. I was going to say sex, but... Well, children. And then with children come sex, according to this cult, unfortunately. I know. Horrible people. But that's not the only way this cult recruited new members. Arvin himself would go cruising down I-15 looking for stranded motorists in need of assistance. I was going to say runaways or homeless. Then as payment, he would invite them back to the commune and feed them his shtick. Like, okay, I'll help you with your flat tire if you come back with me and listen to what I have to tell you. (laughs) This is my cult proposition? Exactly. And that's predatory behavior, I'd say. Well, I figured he was. I figured as you started to go down that path, I, th- I thought he was going to go to like homeless shelters. Oh, there's like definitely some of that too. Okay. I mean, I'm not going to get into it. I can give it, you a place to stay. Yeah, just come join. He our definitely group. did. You know what I mean? Like that's the like easiest way to get people. Speaking of Arvin, neighbors noticed one day that he had thrown the belongings of one of his daughters, who was only 12 at the time, all over the front yard of one of his homes. Turns out he kicked his own daughter out and just left her to the streets. Why would he do this? Well, because she fervently refused to marry a grown-ass gross adult man, another member of the cult, and become one of his many wives at 12. 12. Yeah. So she was like, so I'm not going to do this. House, and so yeah, he, she was thrown to the streets. Go figure it out, 12-year-old. Luckily, a neighbor, a neighboring family, a bishop actually at the local Mormon church, oddly enough, like his old, his old Mormon church, a bishop there took her in like until a foster family could be arranged. That's so. So she was, she was one of the lucky ones. She narrowly escaped an absolutely horrific existence and luckily was able to avoid the same fate that so many other children would suffer at the hands of Arvin. Yeah. Now that's bad, but remember this is just what's happening. According to others, you can imagine the horrible acts being committed behind the commune walls. Yeah, that's like I mean. if that's happening on the outside, that's, that's what people are seeing. So that tells you that what's happening inside yeah. is that bad. Unfortunately, we'll get into that in a bit. Yeah, you think I didn't think you'd get there? So at the beginning of this episode, I mentioned Erin Anderson. Right. The very brave young woman who escaped the Zion Society cult and walked into Detective Mike King's office to expose them. And if this wasn't for her, 
No one would know probably. Well, we don't no. know, but no one would have known for a lot longer. The information she had relayed to King was jaw-dropping and hard to believe, to say the very least, and sickening, might I add. <laughs> of course, Erin was interviewed several times because she was just a wealth of insider information. She She'd knew everything been there. there was. She lived with these She's people. She's the only information they had. Right, exactly. Like, factual accounts of it. You know what I mean? Like it's eyewitness accounts. So in an effort to keep some order to the story, I'm going to kind of go interview by interview with her because she's about to hit us with a lot, a lot, a lot in okay. Jim Carrey's voice, a lot, a lot, like a lot. of information <laughs> that's very difficult for a normal human being to process. And I'm sure that Mike King can attest to that. Yeah, no, 100%. This is, this is difficult. So one of the very helpful things Aaron did during the first interview was draw Mike King a map of the area where the cult was located within that suburban community. And identify like all the Mm -hmm. houses that were specifically that one. Right. And after that interview, Mike actually, like a good cop, would he drove out there and kind of just said, okay, she said this was this. And he was like, okay, this help, this holds up, you know? And he's a detective. So he's probably not driving around in a marked police car. He's probably just, uh, no, it was, it was marked. a pickup truck with a ladder in the back. Yeah, that kind of thing. Unsuspecting mm-hmm. car. He's just driving around looking. Right. So Mike would go out and drive that route that she had given him. And he was able to locate all of the homes easily yeah, due, due to the very elaborate front lawns, as we had mentioned earlier, that she could, noted. You could probably put it together and be like, okay, these are all ridiculous front lawns. Right. She's dead. She's not lying about any. And that's given her story validity, too. Well, um, this is, I'm about to give you a brief rundown of the quote commune. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have pictures that I will share on our Patreon and online so that you can kind of see all of these houses for yourself and kind of the route and cool. which house is which. Okay. Um, so just look out for that. Okay, so the first home that you would happen upon when entering the neighborhood was referred to as uh, the security headquarters. Oh, of course. Yeah, 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 yeah. <clears throat> security up front. Got it. And it was here that a security expert resided with his wives, plural. Now, this security expert wasn't some flimsy little tough minion chihuahua guy. He was a paramilitary trained weapons expert and martial artist. So he meant business. And Arvin wasn't messing around when paramilitary he paramilitary trained. Paramilitary. Fake ass. What do they use to call him? I don't know. What did they? Ex-cop, military cop. No, yeah. <laughs> okay. no, it's um, they militia. Oh, okay, okay. Paramilitary militia, same thing. I mean, he read some books, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying those militia people didn't have, or the paramilitary people didn't have somebody that had been properly trained. Mm-hmm. But they're not like it's all like he was trained by the Navy SEALs to do it. Oh yeah, no, I gotcha. Kitty corner to that house was a home that served as a medical facility, like we were talking about oh, earlier, okay. where all the members' medical needs were tended to, as well as security backup. So, if something happened to the once you entered the you know home, that I mean the um, the neighborhood neighborhood, and you if something happened to the security headquarters, then you had the medical facility, who also doubled as a secondary backup. Well, I mean, that's, that's, that's proper planning. You get a backup. Yeah. You get a backup spot. Absolutely. Then 
the next home you would come to would be Carla's home. Okay. You're going to hate that name by the end of this episode, just forewarning you. Carla was Arvin's right-hand man, so to speak. And some may argue that she was even more evil than Arvin. Oh. Some meaning me. She was... Bad. Oh, she's something else. Well, she lived in this home along with many young women. And this house was known as, quote, the central dormitory for young adult women. And it housed Arvin's spiritual wives. Mm. And there were many. They were otherwise known by the group as, quote, the sister council. So Arvin lived there some of the time as well with his many spiritual wives, sharing a room with Carla, of course, because she's the main bitch. Okay. Yeah. This home also served as a sewing facility. See, the cult members made money and met potential recruits by selling handmade lingerie to strippers in the area. Got it. Okay. There's their lingerie party. Got it. Directly across the street from that house was called the home of inspiration. Selling it to strippers <laughs> gives the, the men a reason to go to the strip clubs to check on the stuff they sold, make sure the merchant, you know what I mean? It, oh yeah, they have to see the merchants they performing see, they well. They go see it and see how their girls are liking so it. stupid. Jesus, gross. Okay, so across from that home was the home of inspiration. Super cool name, right? Home of, I don't want to ever go to a place called the home of inspiration. It kind of scares me more than anything. Well, Aaron had told D- Detective King that this home had originally been a storage unit for weapons, but it now served to entertain prospective recruits. Like it was solely like for entertainment purposes. That's where they had their little gatherings and their little barbecues and parties. And this home did have bars on the windows, but what Mike King couldn't see just by driving by was that the shrubbery, the elaborate shrubbery like hit it, but Uh, the windows were barred. So, that tells me, like, if they wanted to keep a prospective recruit and not let them go, they would just... Keep the kidnapped. Keep them. Yeah. Keep, kidnap them. Yeah. Next door to that house was what Aaron identified as the children's dormitory. According to the book Deceived by Mike King, she said, quote, The young girls who were chosen to be Arvin's sister wives lived in the children's dorm to be isolated from their parents. The girls were supervised by several older women who served as headmistresses and were only allowed to see their parents a few times during the year. She disclosed that there were no telephones in the home, and she said that the girls who lived here ranged in ages from six years old, six 18. Incredibly, Arvin had approximately 30 spiritual wives ranging in age from four years old to 65. That's insane. Four is a toddler. Four years old. That's insane. How a grown-ass person can justify that is beyond me. It just makes you sick. It makes you want to cry. It makes you want to murder people. Makes me want to cry and then murder people. Yeah, yeah. I'll feel better after I murder his ass. Then Arvid, Arvin had purchased two homes, one facing the north with northeast views and one faith, facing the south with southeast, southeast views. That's very hard to say. 
And their sole purpose was to serve as a lookout to monitor any cars entering the neighborhood. Strategic. Yeah. Pick two houses just to watch the only entrances. So after Aaron's initial interview with Mike, Mike went and drove around the commune, and it was clear Aaron was very accurate in her description. It was also clear that many children living behind the walls of this cult were in grave danger. Like they were being abused on the daily, you know? You don't even have to know that it's happening to assume it's happening the way it's set up. So Detective King got the okay to begin his investigation, and he brought Aaron in again to divulge more details. This time in the presence of his partner, Detective Dave Lucas, with the Violent Crimes Division of the Ogden Police Department. And folks, this is where Erin tells us how she witnessed firsthand some of the absolutely atrocious acts of abuse against children that I have ever heard of. But first, how did a young and seemingly level-headed young woman like Erin get involved with this group? Right. Like, that's what I was wondering this whole time. Because she seems to have her shit together. Right? Erin does? Yeah. And then... It's like, how how did you get involved with this to begin with? Well, you know, she's in her 20s. We've seen it. I mean, he's picking people up from that are, you know, stranded in need. He's, he's predatory. Mm-hmm. So he probably finds them. He's a good con man, basically. He's going to convince them and talk to them over time. And I'm sure she got sucked into it. And then one day was just like, whoa, what the fuck did I get sucked into? You know what I mean? True. So Aaron began her next interview with investigators by talking about her early days as a new member of the cult. She was a young mother before the cult, and she had been in a not-so-great marriage before she joined the Zion Society. However, the cult was actually housing her and her young daughter as well. That's as, how they got her. Yep, as as well as handling handling with their lawyers her divorce proceedings for her. So she was stuck in a bad relationship with her child and wanted she out. She felt indebted. Well, but they- Protection and... They were Once paying she for her lawyers. Out, she has nowhere to go. They give her a place. Mm-hmm. They're burdening the financial legal responsibility. They're taking on that burden. Yeah. So of course she's going to feel like I owe you guys for taking care of me. Right. However, things would soon take a sinister turn. Aaron claimed that Arvin demanded perfection from his followers, especially women. That included their weight had to be a certain number, their outward appearance. I mean, it was just crazy. And she was like, that's weird. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's weird. Strange. That's a little strange. It, it didn't go full speed ahead at first. It's definitely a flag that you're probably not in a good place. Right. Which is also funny because Arvin demanded his wives being a certain weight, but he was like short and fat <laughs> and dumpy. Just blows yeah, my just, mind. Those are usually the ones. Anyways. You know I mean? <laughs> well, Aaron also found it odd that despite her like joining this church that Arvin never held any kind of worship service and group meetings were only held to quote, correct the behavior of cult members when necessary. So that's another weird, they're, that's oh, weird. they're a religious group. That's fine. Whatever. They're a little strange. Okay. But they never meet. Okay. That's even weirder. Well, when she first arrived at the commune, Carla, remember Carla, yep. Arvin's right hand lady, Presented Aaron with a binder filled with Arvin's teachings. I'm not going to call them teachings. Ramblings. <laughs> it's more like it. And Carla told her that she needed to study and memorize all of this, which she did. And 
she was like, this is really weird, but I, I will. And she probably also thinks that if I don't do this, they're going to kick me out and I've got nowhere to go with my daughter. Right, exactly. But, and I would go on and on and on about Arvin's teachings, but to sum it up, it was that he's God and he's to be worshiped by his followers, basically, is what it is. So, I mean, in a nutshell. Like every other cult. Okay? Yeah, exactly. They have the direct connection to God or they are God in human form. Whatever. Well, Carla served as a kind of a coach for Aaron during her early days, especially when teaching Aaron about the sexual demands expected from her. See, Aaron was expected to be another one of Arvin's spiritual wives. Mm. Therefore, she would be required to not only have sex with Arvin, but also to, quote, be able to relate to her sister wives in a sexual way, end quote. And this is how Aaron was to get into heaven. No other way other than to have sex with Arvin as well as have sex with the other women and children. Okay. Yeah. Well, Aaron had some issue with this. (laughs) Rightly so. (laughs) In fact, when Carla brought Arvin into Aaron's bedroom and Aaron turned down their, not just Arvin's, but also Carla's sexual advances... She was scolded and iced out by the rest of the women. They weren't to speak to her, mm-hmm. you yeah, know? Exactly. I imagine that Aaron must have felt absolutely trapped and like she couldn't go back to her soon-to-be ex-husband, right? But she also didn't want to partake in this group sexual way of life, obviously. Yeah. However, she would soon witness just how much worse things would get. Okay. And they would get bad. According to the book Deceived, one night, major trigger warning here, by the way. Noted. One night, Carla included Aaron in a repulsive sex game that involved the children. And this is a quote, by the way. I'm taking this directly from the book Deceived. The women and the little girls gathered in the basement of the children's dormitory, and Carla gleefully instructed everyone to sit in a circle. She then explained that they would play a game that used cards. A game called Rape in the Dark. Oh. One of the cards was labeled Rape. The rules of the game were that whoever got the game's rape card was required to engage in sexual play with the other girls. When the game began, Aaron was so repulsed that she ran to her room Shaking with emotion, end quote. So this cult is intentionally sexually indoctrinating children from a very early yeah, age. Them when they're little. They are playing these games, like air quote games. Yeah, I was gonna say you're air quoting as you call it. That. So that these young girls are desensitized to sex, so they're far easier to take advantage Not of. Not just sex, they're being desensitized to sex against their will, forcible sex. Rape. I mean, you're calling the game yeah. rape, and you're mm-hmm. having, it's a game, right? You're trying to desensitize that, like, not only is sex fine, but, like, if someone wants it, they can take it. Forcible sex, rape, right. a, all that stuff's fun. It's a game. It's all fine. It's a game. Wow. Just fucking wow. Right? And the fact that fucking people go along with his fucking idea of this is that many people. crazier. That many people. Yeah, I know. Over time and with seemingly no other no other options, Aaron began to feel pressured to not only endure Arvin's sexual assaults against her, 
but unfortunately partake in all of the other sexual exploits that group participated in. According to Erin, she was one of approximately 18 of Arvin's spiritual wives at that time. Nine were over the age of 20. Five were between the ages of 12 and 19. And four were under the age of 12. One of them being four. That's insane. In order to be one, and I just want to clarify, in order to be one of Arvin's spiritual wives, you had to have sex with him. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I get it. Okay. Like, I just don't really want to think about it. We're dealing with some, I mean, heartbreaking shit right here. <sighs> it makes me, like I said earlier, it makes me want to kill his ass. And of course, Carla, Arvin's counterpart, was one of them. She was right. She was the one instigating all this. I was about this. to say, uh, the reason like, like you say you would argue that she was the worst one, and I was about to say it is a lot of people look at that person as the worst, because they're the actual fucking groomer. Right? The other person's just a pervert. Wait till I tell you that she's a mother of young children. I'm just saying, he's a pervert and a pedophile. She's the actual fucking groomer. She's yeah. the one that trains these kids for this shit to be okay. Oh, she's she is awful. most she is definitely fucking way worse. Well, she's worse than him. So, as promised, let me tell you a little bit about evil Carla because the jury is out as to who is worse, Arvin or it's Carla. Not out. They've convened they have fucking <laughs> unanimously fucking given her the death sentence. Like she is worse, in my opinion. Oh, I can't wait. I, like I, but like I just said, like he's a pervert, yeah. and a manipulator. Mm-hmm. Not only is she complicit in that, mm-hmm. but she's the fuck. The, to me, the groomer is always the worst one. They're the most evil one. That they're just they're, wait until you hear what else she does. They sadistically take the time and she's effort. Awful. But I'm saying they sadistically take the time and effort. Yeah. To. Take the long road to train that this shit's okay. Like, that she is takes, way fucking worse. What I hate about her is she takes the evil man, right, Arvin, and she, like, feeds him. She feeds and she him. one-ups him. She, and then she feeds him some more and then one-ups him again. But, and then she Ugh, also gross. shows that everyone that that's okay and teaches that that's okay. Like, she's, yeah, she's 100% Little worse. Little babies that it's okay. Little four-year-old. Little Jesus. fucking four-year-old. Okay, so let's talk about Carla. What, sure. What, why not? What? We're going to talk about her burning alive? What? Hanging from a bridge? Chamber from hell did she burn from? Right? That's the only way I want to talk about her. So Carla was born in the 1950s in northern Utah. And she seemed to have a fairly normal childhood, despite being raised by a rather controlling, hyper-religious father. So her dad was super hyper-religious. And there it is. <laughs> Controlling and super religious. Just wait, just wait. I'm just saying, and there, there's always a correlation. Growing up, she constantly sought her father's approval. Yep, 100%. So she did so by focusing on going to church. And soon she became obsessed with the idea of becoming more, quote, spiritual, holy, right? In high school, Carla started dating a boy that her parents did not approve of named Jeff. So instead of like breaking it off with Jeff, Carla eloped with him on her 18th birthday. A year later, they had their first child at ni- when she was 19. She's literally like the perfect fucking storm for this dude. Eventually, Carla and Jeff and their child moved to Ogden, where Carla was introduced to her very friendly and super spiritual and intriguing neighbor, Arvin Shreve. And in turn, 
Arvin introduced Carla to his very weird group of friends. That's what I'm saying. She is literally the perfect counterpart to him. It's a perfect storm with those two. Carla was buying into the cult way of life and for a time tried to get Jeff into joining her by having <laughs> he probably listen was, to this. The fuck? He, she was even in on like recruiting some of the young girls in the group to seduce him and saying, Jeff, these can be your sister wives. Like, and he's probably like, she's fucking 14. Yeah. And that's what he was. He was, he was very normal. He was a very nice man. He was like, that's gross. She's a child. It's one thing if your wife (laughs) is trying to bring like a similar aged other person into your relationship for fun or whatever. I'm just saying versus showing up with like, you could have all these as wives and they're fucking 14. That's a fucking like, about this bitch. Well, one day, Jeff decided to take a road trip to visit some friends. <laughs> yeah, I bet. And when he returned, Carla had taken their kids and moved in with the other members of the Zion Society. Like, took his kids and I left. thought he was going to take a road trip and never come back. No, I mean, he, he was a family guy. He was he a kids, good guy. So for, yeah, he did have a kids. He's so. a key player in this, so Jeff's a good guy. Now, do you remember... Arvin was legally married before he went off the I've deep end. I've been wondering where she or Alice has been his whole <laughs> to time. To a woman named Alice. And Alice was very much a member of her husband's group. And she was the lead bitch in all of this group. But when Carla joined. Carla don't want that. Carla slowly started climbing the out. ranks. She pushed her ass out. Yeah. Carla pushed Alice out. 100% guaranteed that. It was like, Carla, take a seat. I mean, Alice, take a seat. I'm going to fucking kill time. you. Exactly. Like. <laughs> Yep. So Carla became HBIC. Well, it was a senior sister is what they call her. Yeah. And she did so by showing Arvin just how far she was willing to go for him. Mm-hmm. She she even co-authored the Colts manual which detailed what was expected of each of Arvin's wives sexually, and it was Carla who instigated training the children in sexual perversions early on. So Carla can... Rotten hell, yeah. Rotten hell. Her perversions even stretched outside the walls of the commune. In order to make extra money, Carla would sex traffic several young children to a man who lived in Logan. I don't know the name of this man. But, yeah, she actually trafficked children to him. She saw saw it as... She she doesn't obviously... She obviously doesn't look at these kids as kids. She looks at him as something like more of a means or a, a tool, whatever it is, like to get on Arvin's good side or for this case, it's just to make money with. So this man would pay Carla for, quote, and this is a direct quote. I did not say this. Sex weekends hmm. with various children. And Carla would then drive these poor children to the man's home to stay with him for the weekend, which is awful. Wow. And you're thinking, okay, she dumped these kids there. She's, she gets worse, guys. She gets worse. She didn't stop it there. Depending on what the man wanted, Carla would often participate in the sex acts along with them or just leave them. What, it was whatever the man wanted. Like okay. if, if the man wanted Carla to stay and join in, she would. Good God. Pure evil. I mean, evil incarnate. One good thing about this whole ordeal, though, with Carla, is that investigators were able to contact her ex-husband, Jeff Peterson, so that there was another witness to this interview. No, that, right? that's fantastic, because to your point, 
they had the one girl, they had Aaron, but you're banking an entire yeah. arrest takedown around Aaron on one word person of mouth. who yeah. they can spin as. And it gets better. Who they can spin as, you know, just a scorned one that couldn't rise in his eyes. You know what I mean? Like It gets even better. So Mike King had the judge sign a subpoena that would make it possible for Jeff Peterson to speak freely with him regarding the well-being of his children because Carla and Jeff had children yeah, in that her, cult. Their children, his kids are still there. Carla's a mom doing this shit, guys. And he's 100% going to be like, fuck you, I'm in. Exactly. So Jeff Peterson would turn out to be a wealth of information. According to Mike King, Jeff told him that, quote, two of his children, a boy and a girl, were being brainwashed with the bizarre doctrine and that they were being separated from their mom, Carla, while in the occult. Not not that Carla's a wonderful person to be no, around, but, she's, over the but one she's not allowed. She's over with the wives yeah, and the kids are all The, the kids, kids are separated yeah, from their parents. Well, his son... Was five, who was um, five years old at the time of Jeff being interviewed, was born after his wife Carla had left him and joined the cult. So she was pregnant. So he'd never even seen the kid. He, he had never even Met seen the kid. The kid. Yeah. And then his daughter was a teenager at that time. But then Jeff went on to tell Detective King about the findings from the private investigator that he had hired. Well, he's probably like, this shit ain't right. I haven't seen my kid. I can't talk to my kids. I can't yes, talk to anybody. I need to. Somebody fucking figure this out. Please help me. So, so he, 100% he hired a, a, private, a private investigator to go and look up on his kids. Right? Right. And, you know, this is. And in and, and the book Deceived, I could, I mean, it's a whole episode what that private investigator went through. He even got his, the private investigator even got his wife involved, like, to pose and, like, infiltrate the group. And it was so fascinating, but I'm going to sum it up real quick for the story's okay. sake. Long story short, the PI encountered child sexual exploitation firsthand, to say the least. And um, Jeff presented investigators with photo and video evidence. That he was given by the PI. Of it all. Oh, Lord. That, that's the dagger yeah. right there. And this was enough for Mike King. Yeah, yeah. To take action now and hopefully take down this cult. So you had hearsay. You had stories being told. Mm-hmm. Now you have pictures and and videos that back up the hearsay and the stories that have been mm-hmm. what they could verify have been 100% spot on at this point. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Dude, it's, trafficking. It's the nail on, on the coffin right there. Trafficking. Everything on video. The nail and, in the coffin right there. Yeah. It's insane. The judge signed a no-knock search warrant, <laughs> which you know why, right? Well, yeah. And for those that don't know what a no-knock search warrant is, oh, yeah. if you're listening to us, you probably know. I'll be honest with you. But the difference between a, a search warrant and a no-knock, no-knock means they don't have to announce who they are. They can mm-hmm. literally kick your fucking door in. Mm-hmm. They can walk in. But why would they issue a no-knock warning in this case? Safety warrant. of the children. Sorry. Safety. So there's no running. To- well, it's not even there's no running. You can run all you want. But it's the imminent safety of children. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if it's just drug dealers in the house, they may not execute a no knock. No knock. They may because they don't want you to get rid of the evidence. If it's yeah. something like these, like a child sex ring, they're worried they're going to kill the kids because the kids are going to squeal on them or something like that. So they're going to no knock so that you don't have a chance to prep for them coming in. So the judge signed a no knock search warrant on eight of the twelve homes in the commune, along with an arrest warrant for the cult leader Arvin Shreve. Good. So on August 2nd, 1991, at 6 a.m., 
the raid took place. First daylight. First yep. daylight, baby. They're not. They're, no one's awake at 6 a.m. You have enough light that you can see what you're doing. It's perfect time. Groggy adults and children were rounded up and held in the main area of the house while each house was searched. First, I have to say that my heart breaks for the children involved. Of course. <laughs> like, it, it, you know, it's so terrifying. They know no different. They know no different. This is what they were taught to be okay. Yeah. Every other kid's experiencing it. So even the older kids are like, this is what happens. This is normal. And Detective Mike King is a wonderful man. You can watch his stuff online, which we're going to link down Good. below. Yeah, I kind of want to watch um, stuff. Mike King stated, quote, each child was asked their name and they were prepared to be taken into custody. This process was terribly difficult for everyone involved, but was especially traumatic for children. They didn't want to leave their familiar circumstances, regardless of what had happened to them. To them, that's their family. That's what they know. These kids are all family to each other. because They, they live together. And even, this, this is the part that breaks my heart. He said, separating them from their abusers was difficult, and the effects would prove to be long-lasting. Because they don't know that they it's know abuse. No, they have no idea. They think that's normal. They, these kids, y'all have to remember, they were born into this. They think this shit is normal. They mm -hmm. think the people that they love are looking out for them. They don't know this is wrong. Yeah. So it's literally like, to them, it's like you walking into some random person's house and ripping their kid out and taking it. They don't know any different. And... I wasn't going to include this. This is one part of the book that kept me up at night. Nope. You weren't going to include it, but here we go. But I have to just to send it home. Because Detective King, if nothing else, well, we all know he's a hero in this, but he's such a good guy. You can just He's just a great person. He said, uh, one officer noticed horrible blisters all over one of like the very small the children's kids, yeah. legs. Uh, it was on her thigh. And when another female officer asked her mom uh, what those marks were, the adult very casually said, oh, that's herp. And the officer was like, what? What's herp? Yeah. yeah. And no, the, adult, the adult said, herpes. Herp. Herpes. We all have it. It's a mark of the society. What? <laughs> I knew that was going to come up at some point when you're talking about a sex cult. I mean, if that doesn't tell you what these officers went through, when, and I mean, I, I talk about what the officers went through, but yeah, no, uh, just how horrible all this was. I don't know. Like, I don't know. You know, I haven't God, been in that world. Babies. I haven't been in law enforcement in obviously like 10, 15 years. Mm -hmm. uh, well, 10 years. But I don't know nowadays how I could handle that situation. Like, well, no, cause we have babies. I'm surprised babies. I'm not the cop that's like slamming him against the wall, putting a gun to his head. I was lucky enough. It's that, cause we have babies. I was lucky enough that most of what I did was drugs and literally no knocks. Like yeah. SWAT team shit. I didn't know the stories other than this was a bad dude. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I know. I, I dealt with a few murders. I dealt with a few rape, actually quite a few rapes. I know it's awful. And I was, it, even back then, it would take me a lot to not flip out on the fucking dudes I was interviewing. Yeah, but now Especially having... Especially catch them in the story. But now having like, raised young girls. Oh, but the kids... That's what I'm saying. The kids Ugh. take it to a level that... I've been to crime scenes. I've been to people dying. I've been to suicides. Yeah. When there was kids in the house or kids present. And it, it was heartbreaking at that. And we're not even talking about trauma done directly to a child. I know. I don't know 
that I couldn't sit there armed, armed. Mm-hmm. And not just and not put a fucking them. gun in their face. You know what I mean? Like it's and to right. someone who did that to a child, a baby, not, not even a child, a baby. Yeah, I'm not saying I would, but the Ugh. urge is so. Like, even now, I just want to be like, no, I know, you mother, like, what did you? What the fuck is wrong with you? And for the mom to be there and be like, it's just herpes. Move on. Yeah, no, I would have lost my shit if a parent was like, <laughs> it's just herpes on my kid. Your fucking kid's four. What the fuck do you mean it's just herpes? Give me your baby. You psychotic right now. fuck. Exactly. Like, I will take your baby. You are never seeing this it. child again because it is it's going mine somewhere. Now. It's mine now. Not even it's mine now. You're never seeing this kid again. Have you ever tried to? You're going to get buried somewhere. I'm, I'm glad I'm not a cop because we would have 27,000 children. <laughs> oh. <laughs> You tried that with dogs at one point. Have fun paying for that for college. We had like six dogs at one point because you couldn't say no to an adoption. I love it. Okay, so we're going to get back to the children in a bit. But for now, let's talk about what the search, the raid turned up. Because you know they found some crazy ass stuff there. You know they found some shit. (laughs) And I'm just kind of skimming it. Y'all have to read the book, Deceived. It's super good. Okay, so in the cult's library... They found books on nefarious topics, such as, and you might have guessed the topics, such as um, how to make false identification credentials, how to make bombs, and hmm. a U.S. Army book on sniper tactics, amongst you know many others. And but, people ask how that's available. But you can search right now for if you know what field manual it is in the military, you can search for it right now. It's on the interwebs. Yep, absolutely. In the dormitory for young girls, they found an arsenal of semi-automatic weapons stored underneath the floorboards. Of course, because you go, what What do you have there? Four-year-olds, 18-year-olds? Yeah. So where's the safest place? It's the most- Floorboards. Less than, what's the most least threatening building you have where your four, four through 18-year-old girls are living? No one's going to suspect you're keeping guns there. You know what I mean? Like Yeah. Oh, I didn't think about that. Very fucking calculated. Well, I was wondering, why would you keep, like, your guns in the kid's house? If you house? look at his patterns, <laughs> yeah. very fucking calculated. He had mm. he had houses that overlooked each direction of He's the He's not entrance. that smart. That must have been another person. That's the, that probably their security key. guy. Yeah. But they had security with a their backup paramilitary security. paramilitary guy. They had a separate house. The, their backup security house was the, the hospital, which oh, serves yeah. as a dual-purpose building. Very true. Now you're putting guns with the little girls, because if you have 12 buildings and one of them has kids living in it- mm-hmm. Which house are you least likely to think the guns are in? By nature, the kids' building. Yeah. Because who the fuck would store guns with little kids? Not me. Yeah. But that's my point. Yeah. That's why it's there. In the sister council house where all of Arvin's wives lived, they found a storage cabinet with various keys to different vehicles hanging inside. So it was like a curio cabinet and there was keys and then each key was color-coded and marked with a number. And there was a log that members would have to sign to record the dates and their name <laughs> that each vehicle had been checked out. Yeah. It, Guys, is- later on, it would come to light exactly what those cars were used for, and it, it was nothing good. Trust me. I'm going to give you I've – been, I've been on purpose trying not to say – Right. Too much. I will tell you but, that tactic mm-hmm. tells me the security dude mm-hmm. – was the number three dude in this place. If not number two. Well, after Carla, yeah. That's what so I'm saying. number three. Because yeah. 
I will tell you right now, after 15 years in the military, if you needed a vehicle, if you checked out a fucking vehicle, there was a log. Keys were either numbered or color coded. You signed the log when it was in, the mileage, when it was back out, when it was out. Like you, you signed, you had every detail of you using the car. Gross. Okay, so I'm going to read you some quotes. Fantastic. From, <laughs> um, this was after the fact, but back they were talking about when they're adults when they were saying this but they were kids right like right, they, yeah, remember they, were recount, they were recounting their stories as children about what those cars were used, yeah. used for so amber who was a child at the time of the raid um and we're gonna get back to amber amber's actually very popular now she's on youtube and she's cool. a survivor good uh she would later say about her experience riding in one of those cars quote we were taken on car rides to the country late at night. We had to do a strip tease dance in the car headlights, and then we would go get ice cream for our reward, end quote. Grooming. Cammy, who was six at the time of the raid, would say, quote, Arvin took me for rides. He took me to Little Mountain and said he had built it. He took me to the water tower at the business depot and told me he built that too. To a six-year-old girl with no steady father figure, he was mighty, and I believed him. So these cars, if you hadn't guessed, were used to groom and assault children. 100%. And she Disgusting. Just, and part of her, her statement there mm-hmm. is 100% a tactic of his. Yeah. The reason why he separates these kids. You see that mountain? I built not, that not, mountain. Not that. Not that. He separates these kids, and you even said like they can only see their parents. Yeah, once a year. Couple times, maybe a couple times a year. Mm-hmm. That includes their father. So the only father figure is in these young children's lives as they're being groomed mm-hmm. is him. So they're going to respect him the way a normal child would look to a father. I just want to. <clears throat> that is that is some <laughs> deep level manipulation right there. Mm. So, in the house that we were talking about, in the basement of that, what what house was that? Dormitory for young girls. A lot happened in that house, obviously. So, in the basement of that house, the dormitory for young girls, was a large storage room filled with hospital-like shelving. On each of those shelves were endless, over-the-counter, and prescription drugs, later estimated to be worth $5,000. One of the young girls would say that as soon as they turned into a teenager— they would train them to go to the gynecologist and get a certain amount of birth control, mm-hmm. uh, but under supervision. Mm-hmm. Or someone would go to the ER under the guise of another disease to get pain meds. Right. But then they would also find vendors who would, you know, ship Street vendors. Yeah, give them, you know, pain meds and stuff like mm-hmm. that. So, I mean, it was just, they had a whole operation going on. And this is $5,000 in 1991. Yeah. So that's a shit ton yeah. of drugs today's age. And this is also before, I think this is 1991, was before the Scheduled Controlled Substances Act. Yeah. Which regulated pain meds and all those kind of things. Mm-hmm. I know it was before that. So a lot of stuff wasn't regulated. Like people nowadays hear about that and they're like, how the fuck do you get these pain meds, Percocets, that's know, how. oxycodone, all this shit? Because it wasn't regulated back then. You just got it. Yeah. There was no present your ID when you pick your prescription up. It was like, here's your prescription for 100 pills. And Bobby Joe down the street could go fulfill it. You know what I mean? 
Also found down in the basement was a very oddly placed, tiny, dark room with no lights and no windows. Oh, yeah. Okay. The hole. <laughs> it was aptly named the dark room. There you go. There it is. <laughs> Andrea, who we quoted earlier. Yeah. Would later explain to us what it was used for. It's a punishment room. No, actually. Oh. It's really weird. She says, quote, we would be sent to a dark room with a pencil and paper. We were told to communicate with dead people and write down what they told us. We would ultimately make up people and things to write down to prove we connected with them. Arvin told us that God was telling him what we were thinking if, and if we had done anything wrong. It was a frightening mind game. Yeah, that's, that's fucked up, man. Yeah, so it's like... Go talk to the dead. You're like, I can't. Let me just write down some shit and hope he doesn't think I did that. Yeah, because he knows all. Because he knows. But at the same point, these kids have to... Oh, they're kids. They're yeah. Not, they're not adults. I was going to say, these kids have to think like, well, he's not... He doesn't know all because he doesn't know I faked this shit. But again, these were like kids as in like eight-year-olds and shit. Not like 25-year-olds that can rationalize that. Yeah, they're just babies. Then in Arvin and Carla's bedroom... An array of sex toys were found along with Arvin's religious writings. Mm. One such sex toy was even found proudly displayed on top of an open Bible. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. This was a room in which Carla taught, quote, what was called the sexual way of life to children. And this was the room where far too many horrific assaults had happened over the years. It was also the home where the awful game, Rape in the Dark, was played. And I, I hope it was burned to the ground. I really do. Can you imagine purchasing that home? Not after? knowing that? Oh, my Lord. <laughs> also recovered were numerous photographs and videos of adults committing unspeakable crimes, I'm as sure. you can imagine. I'm sure they documented it all because they're all perverts. So all in all, the raid turned up more evidence <laughs> yeah. that could be hoped for. <laughs> yeah. However, Arvin and Carla were nowhere to be found. If you hadn't noticed, we didn't mention that they were ever captured. I did, I did notice that. Luckily, Arvin and Carla, though, were picked up in Cedar City three days after the raid. They somehow, turned themselves in. Yeah, but somehow they got, somebody caught them up and said, hey, they're coming to get you. There's a raid happening. You, if they raid you at 6 a.m., there's no happening chance. Of they must have escaped. Happen. That's what I'm saying. During, when it was happening. Or yeah. maybe they escaped during it happening because if he strategically placed things the way he did, he probably mm-hmm. was at the back of the, they'd be like the last house or something like that they get to. And then they probably stopped and turned themselves in because they probably froze all their money and all their assets. This is sad. Children were separated from their families, their their moms. Not that they were allowed to see their right, moms. But, but they were still separated. They were separated from their families and taken to the CJC or the Children's Justice Center where they would undergo questioning, which you can imagine was beyond difficult. It's an awful job. While this was happening, foster homes were being arranged for each child. Fuck whoever the parents are. They're not getting them back. To sum up the interviews and how they went, the psychologist who met with each child, Dr. Kevin J. Gully, concluded that, yeah, and I read some of the interviews and I'm just... Poor guy. uh, I'll just 
He's just the, doing his this job. Is, this is the best way to sum it up. Like, I could go on and on, guys. But uh, Dr. Gully concluded that he, quote, found the children to be alert and coherent and that they demonstrated they were not influenced by any leading questions. He also concluded that, quote, the children truthfully described the sexual assaults that they had been subjected to and identified the people who had assaulted them. He noted that the children all suffered from PTSD but were capable of providing testimony in court. However, Arvin and the other adults involved were not so forthcoming. Well, they're not going to say this I is did this. going to anger you. Well, they're not going to sit there and say they did it. The kids are right. These kids weren't abducted, so they're not they're not traumatized from that aspect. They're traumatized from the stuff they were forced to engage in, but to them it was normal. So the trauma is less than it would be on a normal person. Does that make sense? Shockingly, well, not shockingly, but this is going to grind your gears. Okay. When Arvin was presented with each child victim by name and the allegations against him regarding, he said that um, it was actually the child's fault. Yeah. He blamed the child. Of course he did. He's a closet, nar- not a closet, he's an outward narcissist. He would say things like, well, she dressed and acted provocatively. And, encur- the and encourage the, the assault. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Although they were trained to do so by Carla. I know, but Ugh. you can't that's that's not a valid <laughs> argument. No, that's not a valid argument with full grown adults. Jesus Christ. But then you're trying to make that argument with a four year old? Like, come on, dude. My four year old can barely put the square peg in the round hole. I mean, they're not coming up with all that shit. But in the end, Arvid would end up confessing to 30, 30 felony sex abuse charges. Although, he would only be charged with four. Depends on the evidence they have on the uh, the plea deal he cops. So, two counts of sodomy on a child and two counts of of sexual abuse of a child. And it's annoying as hell. But the prosecution wanted to make sure that they had a rock-solid case. Yeah, you don't want to... You can't try them again. Yeah, exactly. And they were also going to save some of the lesser, I guess... Crimes. Lesser crimes to hold against him in case... They're probably hitting him with a couple of the worst. The prosecution couldn't nail him And they probably had... The ones that they could definitely nail him in, they probably had video or, or photos on. They could piece it all together. Some of the other ones, they probably couldn't. It was hearsay from, again, an eight-year-old. Mm-hmm. So that could be kind of shit all over in court. It's, it's pretty easy to crap on an eight-year-old testifying if that's the entirety of yeah, the charge. Yeah, but where, if you have a 17-year-old, then that's easier. But even then, if it's just still one. It's just it's when they have like the videos and the mm-hmm. pictures. You can't. You're argue word against word. Yeah, that's evidence. what I'm saying. It's not word yeah. against word. It's not yeah. her saying this and I'm saying this. This is like, there's there's documentation of it happening. At his arraignment, Arvin pled not guilty to all charges, but that was to be expected. He was advised to do so by his legal defense team in order for them to have time to look for any weaknesses in but the case. But how is his legal defense team defending him when they were all part of the commune? <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Or maybe, maybe they had lawyers on retainer on the outside. Maybe that's what they did. I don't know. As for the other adults involved, because Arvin wasn't the only one. Yeah, no shit. Obviously. I was going to ask this. 
There were 11 other suspects Good. that investigators who, who were, uh, that investigators thought to be responsible, sorry, for more than, get this, 700 sexual assaults against children along with other lower ca- class felonies involving children. Well, yeah, well, think about it. If three people are present for one assault, that's three charges right there. Mm-hmm. And then you can also charge them with maltreatment of a child or whatever the state codes are for child abuse, emotional. Mm-hmm. There, there's just a slew of charges just from one. But you do have 11 people, and this has been going on for – they're charging. This has been going on for 10, 12 years. 20, yeah. And every single incident of it is chargeable. So if you were to you know, rape one of the kids today and then do it tomorrow, that's two separate charges in most states. So Carla and all the other adults sat in jail awaiting trial, many of which had actually confessed to their crimes. Yeah, Utah's probably like, what the fuck do we do with these people? Quick side note here, and this is crazy. Erin Anderson, the young woman who came forward yeah. and assisted investigators in bringing down this cult, like she if it was not for her. She started it all. Yeah. She was on the verge of being charged for her part part in the child assaults. I mean, I understand that because they're probably just And she did take part. Well, she admitted to it, right? Yes. She is. She did commit a crime. She is guilty. And at this point, the state's probably like, fuck everybody. We're charging everybody. Like, fuck this. This is a mess. So I get that. Hopefully she doesn't get charged. On the other hand, Mike King was like, if it was not for this woman. That's what I'm saying. Like. Maybe they slap her on the wrist. Maybe they're like, hey, I would hope they do nothing and say, because of you, this has been brought to light. So, but the prosecution granted her full immunity in exchange for testimony against the other perpetrators. Well, they kind of have to. And I was hoping that's what happened because Mm -hmm. without her, there is no initial warrant. Mm -hmm. Right. And if they can discredit her Mm -hmm. and and come after her, then that warrant's bogus at that point. So everything that happened from the initial warrant is gone. So yep. yeah, the smart thing to do is be like, look, we're not going to fucking charge you. Like you gave us the case. Can you imagine though, the guilt that she probably still has to this day? She, she's going to have guilt. One, she's got survivor's guilt. Yeah. Two, she's guilty that she partook in that stuff. Cause she was brainwashed enough or felt that indebted enough that she had to. She's stuck. She's stuck mm-hmm. right for her and her kid. So, so she's going to have guilt, but not she shouldn't. I'm not excusing it. I'm not, but you know what? She shouldn't because she brought an end to this fucking shit. So guys, over the next two years, these child victims, these babies would have to testify at the 12, defen- 12 defendants trials and relive their horrific experiences over and over again. That part, I don't fucking agree with that part. This started- You should be able to take- a recorded confession with the child. It was, yeah. Or do one and talk about everything and use that through the other to all 12 trials. You shouldn't have to do 12 with these fucking kids. This started to pose some issues, as you can imagine. Sadly, one offender walked free because his six-year-old, six, six-year-old victim was so traumatized that her mental health care provider like recommended that this whole case be dismissed it's because too much reliving it would be way too harmful it's too for much her. Honor. Yeah. And so he walked free. 
And sadly, this offender was one of the adults that was on record confessing and admitting to some absolutely despicable, like, Jesus. Most of the other defendants were sentenced to one to 15 years in prison. But in a few, in a few. (laughs) One one year in prison. Oh, don't get mad yet. If you're mad now. I'm just saying. You're going to be pissed. One year in prison. But in a few cases, their prison sentences were commuted, were suspended if the defendant would agree to a 90-day work release program, payment of restitution, and if they agreed to cease all future contact with any of the other cult members. No, like, sex addicts anonymous, no, like, counseling for being a fucking child rapist, nothing? Just don't do it again and don't talk to anybody? Cool. Surprisingly... Alice, Arvin's legal wife, wasn't sentenced at all, despite her obvious involvement. She was just a free woman. Now, I know we all want to know what became of Carla. I really probably don't, actually. (laughs) That sea witch was convicted of the sexual exploitation of children, aggravated sexual abuse of a child, as well as sodomy. Each charge held a minimum mandatory five years to life. <laughs> five years to life. Yeah, minimum in five. Prison. Minimum five. Yeah. Oh, she's fucked. Last I heard, Carla is a free woman oh. living in a rural area near other former Zion Society cult Oh, she's members. free. Still alive in Utah. Well, fuck you, Carla, if you're listening. Fuck you. Fuck you, Carla. Arvin was found guilty on all four of his charges and sentenced to 20 years to life. He would appeal his sentence, but would ultimately be denied. He would end up dying in prison on August 10th, 2009. I was, I was going to say, if this was 91 and he was 63, if he was alive today, he'd be under him. So I'm yeah. pretty sure he, 20 years at 61 or 63, 63, 61, whatever it is. That's, I mean, that's almost a death sentence at that point. Most of the female offenders who were sentenced to prison time wouldn't serve more than a year. They were victims. So they're roaming free now as well. Well, that's what it's going to be. Probably hanging out with Carla. They were brainwashed. They became victims. As soon as it worked for one of them, the rest of them pulled the same fucking plot. If that doesn't piss you off, this will. Mm. Many of the former cult members, their uh, children were in foster care. Well, they all got custody back of their kids. How the fuck does that happen, Utah? I'm not done. It gets worse. No, the state of Utah. How the fuck does that happen? The same kids who were abused. Yeah. Raped. Yeah. All their life. Since they were like fucking four. Well, the judge said in order to have custody returned to the parents, they would have to agree to court-mandated counseling. All parents agreed, of course. Yeah, and you know what? Not one parent ever took their child to one counseling session. That was about to be my point. We all know that shit doesn't fucking work because it gets lost in the system. No one gives a fuck. It's off the radar and it's closed. And nothing was done about it. Fuck you, Utah. Like, fuck you too. However, not all of this story ends on a bad note. No, that's that's fucking... We talked about ineptitude... In cases we've caught, we've talked about before, or failures in I don't see how you can get worse than this. I really don't. This is by far the most grievous fuck you. The system that is the system broken. has ever done. Broken. Not only do you let child like a cult 
mm-hmm. of child rapists mm-hmm. who groom four-year-olds till they're 18 years old the entire time raping them. Mm-hmm. You let them fucking walk and then you give them custody of said fucking children back. Like, yeah. fuck that. Yeah, exactly. Fucking, fuck Utah. Fuck it. Fuck Utah. That's one of the worst things I've ever heard a fucking state ever do. Sorry, ran over. <laughs> I, I'm, I felt the same. I'm fucking heated right now, dude. I felt the same. <laughs> dude, I'm reading fucking, the book. I, <laughs> I'm usually not this animated on here. I am angry as fuck right now. When I went back and looked it all up, I was like, Jesus. Serious. How the fuck does that happen? I know. We've had some bad fucking police work. We've had some bad results from court cases because of legal issues, but holy shit. Okay, so on a happy note. Please make something better here. Mike King and many of the child victims that he helped to rescue, they actually appeared on an episode of the Dr. Phil show. Yes. <laughs> Dr. Phil. Well, they had a very tearful reunion, and I 10 out of 10 recommend watching. You can find it on YouTube. My no joke. I think I fucking seen that one, and I was like, didn't know what was going on. Yeah, that's. I think I fucking seen that is. one. So, Mike also has his own podcast called Profiling Evil, and you can also watch him on YouTube. He's he's enthralling to listen to. Wonderful man, good family man, good guy. Um, so please don't hesitate to check him out and just putting this out into the universe. Profiling I'd love, I'd love to interview you, Mike. I need to go fucking hit that dude up and listen to the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Hero. We'd love to have you here to interview you, Detective King. He's a fucking hero. You're a hero. The system may have failed after that, but he did what he could and he did the best he could and he did fucking awesome. So Amber, um, another, she's a survivor. Wonderful woman. I'd also like to interview you, Amber, one day. Putting that out there into the universe. <laughs> You're just throwing up. Hey, who can I talk I'm practicing to? gratitude this year. <laughs> and Amber, I love you. And she was a child when the raid happened, and uh, we used a few of her quotes in this episode. She has a YouTube channel, and to say she is inspirational, Jesus, that's a freaking understatement. Anyways, Please yeah. go and check her out as well. I'm going to link her channel in the show notes along with Mike show. Yep. Um, but I thought it was so cute because Mike has one podcast episode that is uh, on, like they videoed it and it's on YouTube. And he recalls when he first interviewed Amber and when she was little. Yeah, she was, yeah, like eight or six. I think she was like, like 11 or something like that. And, and Big she, difference between eight and 11. I mean, uh, and she told him. I fear going to hell much more than I fear you. I mean, she was just so indoctrinated, indoctrinated, but plus her heart. I mean, she's just all she's known. It just makes you want to grab her and hold her and tell her it's going to be okay. You know, (sighs) but um, definitely please go and check. We're going to link all of their channels so that you can check them out. Yeah. I'm definitely going to have to, I got to check these out. Uh, but I definitely dedicate this episode to her and the other young victims who had to live through the nightmare that this sick man put them through. So glad he's dead. And Detective King and Aaron. Because yes. without those two, mm-hmm. this shit never comes to an end. Yeah. And Jeff. He's kind of an unsung hero in this too. Jeff, you freaking rock, man. Those three are the unsung, or they are the heroes of the story. Yeah. 
Aaron came through and exposed this shit. Jeff was like, yep, it's all fucking true. Mm-hmm. And that gangster G over there, Mike King, was just like, you know what? Got this. I'm a training day, this motherfucker. Ethan Hawkem. He's a kid. Those three, they, they, they deserve a lot of the credit. God, it's fucking awful. I know. But I want more. Mur- I, can we go back to murdering dead people? Because this is just worse, <laughs> in know. my opinion. And it's because I, th- I have daughters, right? I have daughters. And they're. Yeah, but I raised your daughters. Our daughters ain't doing anything any is, man tells them they're to. They're teenagers. <laughs> I know. I can't imagine shit like this happening like it 10 won't. years ago. It won't. But I'm just saying, I can't imagine like, you know what I mean? It's just, oh, God. We love you guys. Thank you so much for joining us in this very special episode <laughs> of Evil Pudding, a true crime podcast. Our next episode is going to be a Patreon recommended episode by one of, actually, a family friend. Yeah, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah. So I'm super excited. So stay tuned for that. And she actually, I'm, I don't want to give too much away. I was going to. I was about to say something, but I don't want to give too much away. Okay, then don't give it away. But um, Sam, you know who you are. We love you, and we got you, boo. <laughs> I'm excited for that one, too. That's yes, gonna be I can't one. wait. That's going to be a good one. <laughs> All right, so we will see you next time. Thank you so much for joining us. Be good to each other, and do not join a cult in the meantime. Please don't. Bye. <laughs>